You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. I do want to thank you all for uh, being here today, and I I do want to uh, thank you for your patience in a couple of areas. So obviously, this is the first time we've been back together since we've multiplied into our separate worship centers. With that, we had some signage that was missing from Kids Kingdom, so parents, thank you for your grace and mercy there. Obviously, there was some tech stuff, but uh, hopefully, this time together takes it to a whole other level for each of us, amen? Uh, I do want to uh, take a moment, too, uh, to uh, introduce my niece, Taylor, who's from the East Region. Most of you know Matt and Jill. We got another one out there, another disciple in the East Region. Super proud of her and uh, grateful that she's here with us today. And I noticed a number of other people that were here with us this morning. Uh, We had the Izachukus back in there somewhere. Uh, Yes. And, uh, you know, honestly, if there's anybody else that I've missed, I, I regret it, but we're going to be dealing with that in the message this morning. So I uh, w- did want to say when it comes to our two worship centers, I'm incredibly proud of each and every one of you. Uh, I know that was a little bit of a change, and when it comes to change, we're not always the greatest with it, but I've been blown away in that just the degree of support, the level of excitement. Um, I haven't heard any complaints. It doesn't mean that there haven't been any. But, uh, you know, usually as a minister, those come your way at least once or twice a year. So, um, actually, there, it's a little bit more now, but nobody seemed to catch what I was saying there. So, figured I'd clarify a little bit. With that, though, I think it's fair to say that most of us here this morning may have a regret or two in life, right? Uh, Brian Craig mentioned this morning that uh, some of you probably weren't here yet because you were at either the North or the South facility. And you probably regret the fact that you didn't look at your calendar or pay attention to the emails or maybe the push notification that went out yesterday. But we're glad you made it. Before we go any further, though, I did want to uh, ask for us to go ahead and bow our heads and go to the Father in prayer. And um, I'm going to pray for Kim Hammond. We can keep her in our prayers. She went in for a knee surgery, was on crutches. She fell, and she may have fractured her wrist. So... Anyways, please keep your prayers. If you're close to her, you may want to see if there's anything that, you know, you guys can do to help the family there. But let's go ahead and bow our heads. Father, we thank you for what an amazing God you are. Uh, Just having come off of Easter last week uh, with the understanding of the resurrection and the significance behind it, the lengths that you're willing to go to uh, to enter into a relationship with us is just absolutely amazing. It's something that I have a hard time grasping or understanding. Uh, But, God, I am so grateful uh, that when it comes to the regrets of my own life, uh, that you've given me a way to overcome those. You're a God of grace. You're a God of mercy. You're a God of love. And, uh, again, I know that exceeds our understanding on so many different levels, but it doesn't negate the fact that we're grateful uh, for what you've done for us. And I pray that each and every day we can wake up and remember what an amazing God you are, the salvation that you gave us as a gift. We've done nothing to earn it. But thank you so much for that, and thank you for the examples and the direction that you give us in your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Thinking about regret, who among us hasn't wished at one point in time or another that maybe you could just kind of turn that clock back? You know, maybe to a certain day or a certain period or a point in time in your life where you could undo or change a certain choice that we made or maybe a choice that we failed to make. You know, it's uh, kind of interesting when it comes to the word regret. 
You can see behind me up on the screen that the word for regret is in the original Hebrew language, neshom, which we're very familiar with the Greek equivalent of this, which would be what? Metanoia, repent, right? So with that, this word literally means to change one's mind afterwards, after an event, after a decision, something that we may regret. Or it's the desire to approve or amend one's actions or choices. So to put it in today's vernacular, we would say that we have regrets or we are repentant. What it means is that with like Nashom, it would be a matter of a do-over, another opportunity, a means of undoing what we did or maybe something that we failed to do in our past. And I know that there are times where our thoughts can dwell so much so on things that we wish we had done differently. It can almost be incapacitating, right? Satan loves nothing more than to be able to take us out of action by whispering in our ears, telling us how worthless we are, what a mess we are, the things that we've done, or, you know, just goes through a litany of things to make us feel worthless. I wish I hadn't. I wish I would have. Why did I do that? Why didn't I do the other? I mean, take a moment, reflect on it, and you can kind of fill in the blanks or yourselves. Today's message, though, we're going to do is we're going to learn how to move beyond our regrets. There's a passage in the Bible, most of us like an underdog story, right? Somebody that's, you know, kind of gotten beat up a little bit by life, but they have this incredible victory, right? Uh, you know, I, I love the Rocky series. Um, I, I love the new, the new series that's involved with that. I just love an underdog story. We see it in athletics. You know, every year we have March Madness, and don't we get behind the team that's like one of the worst ones in that mix that somehow miraculously takes it into the Final Four? We love the underdog story. So our primary text this morning is going to be out of Psalm 51. It's an incredible story of issues that are very challenging, but because of a spiritual focus, how those issues are overcome, and ultimately there's a victory both for the individual involved and God through it. So I, again, turn to Psalm 51. That's going to be our primary text this morning. Again, the, the uh, name of the message is Regret to Resurrection. And again, Psalm 51 is where we're going to start on out. And again, with that, keeping in mind the original Hebrew language here this morning, with the word regret and the word repent, very much the same thing. So Psalm 51, you could call this a psalm of regret. And in this psalm, David addresses the biggest regret of his life, his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, the fact that he's up on a roof, wasn't where he should have been, paying attention to something he shouldn't have been looking at, and ultimately the progression from lust to adultery, from adultery to murder, taking Bathsheba's husband Uriah and sending him to the front lines of the battlefield knowing that he would succumb. How could David live with himself after committing not just one, but a number of deplorable sins? How could he ever rise again above the regret of what he had done? Well, in Psalm 51, David teaches us some incredibly valuable lessons on how to move on. First thing we're going to look at this morning in Psalm 51 is verses 1 through 9. Let go of your past. We need to let go of our past. In uh, verse 1, 
This is after Nathan came to David and kind of called him on out on what he had done. In his response to God after the rebuke that he received from Nathan, You are kind, God. Please have pity on me. You're always merciful. And uh, just for the sake of saying it, I've got CEV up on the screen. That's contemporary English version. That's the text. That, that's the particular translation I'm using today. Kind of falls within the middle of the stream. We have New American Standard, which is probably the most accurate word for word, on out to the Message Bible, which is probably the most loose paraphrase that you can have. This falls somewhere in the middle, along with the likes of the NLT, the NIV. But it is probably the, the closest to how we actually speak today. It's the, therefore, contemporary English version. Verse 3, he says, I know my sins, and I cannot forget my terrible guilt. You are really the one I have sinned against. I have disobeyed you, and I have done wrong, so it is right and fair for you to correct and punish me. I have sinned and done wrong since the day I was born. But you want complete honesty, so teach me true wisdom. Wash me with hyssop until I am clean and whiter than snow. Let me be happy and joyful. You crushed my bones, now let them celebrate. Turn your eyes from my sin and cover my guilt. There's some incredible stuff here with David. There's a lot of directions he could have taken this in. And I want you to notice one thing that's noticeably absent in these verses. Not one time does David ask God for a chance to go, on, go back and undo what he had done in the past. Not once. He doesn't say, Lord, if you would just wind the clock back to the day on the roof, I wouldn't take that second glance at Bathsheba. He doesn't say, Lord, if you would just allow me to go back into time, I would not send my servant Uriah or my servant to actually bring Bathsheba to my house. He doesn't say, Lord, if you would just wind back the clock in time, I would take back the order I gave to send Uriah to the front lines where I knew he would succumb and be killed. And he and Bathsheba would be able to live happily ever after. He didn't say any of that. David knows he can't go back in time and undo any of the bad choices he made. But rather than living in the past and trying to undo what he can't undo, David does the very best thing possible, and we see this in this passage, he repents of his sin. He doesn't blame Bathsheba for the circumstances or anyone else for what happened. He doesn't feel sorry for himself. We see him take complete ownership and complete responsibility for what he did. And again, I, I think when we think through this, brothers and sisters, there isn't a single one of us here today who doesn't have at least one thing we regret from our past, Correct? Romans 6, verse 23, it reads, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we've got to understand this. There's absolutely nothing in our lives that will ever change as long as we choose to live in the past. And when we're haunted by regrets, what that means is we're living in the past. We haven't let go. We haven't realized the incredible gift that Jesus when Jesus died for us on the cross, the gift of salvation we have, that cleansing is David's talking about here with hyssop, being whiter than snow, being clean. We know that takes place through the waters of baptism. We've got to understand that. We've got to hold on to that. We can't allow Satan to get in there and pollute our minds with the things that we did in the past because we have zero control of those things. Beating yourself up over when it comes to regret isn't going to change anything. Wallowing in guilt and shame isn't going to change anything. The only way we can let go of our regrets is to generally, genuinely repent of what we did. 
acknowledging what those sins were before the Lord and accepting full ownership and responsibility for those sins, not blame-shifting. We need to stop pointing the finger at our circumstances or at someone else. We need to stop making excuses or exceptions for ourselves due to what we perceive as being our circumstances and learn from David here in Psalm 51. Let it go. Give it and yourself over to God. And I was thinking about breaking into song there with Let It Go for a moment, but, you know, I, I don't want to have any more regrets, okay? I don't want that to be something regrettable for you, amen? Let it go. No, I'm going to let it go. Hebrews 8, verse 10. Hebrews 8, verse 10. Thanks, Jackie. <laughs> but now I tell the people of Israel... This is my new agreement. The time will come when I, the Lord, will write my laws on the minds and hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Not one of them will have to teach another to know me, the Lord. All of them will know me no matter who they are. I will treat them with kindness. Even though they are wicked, I will forget their sins. I don't know about you, but again, this is one of those things that kind of boggles my mind with God. He's all-knowing, yet what's the claim that he makes right here? I will forget your sins. Isn't that, it? Isn't that, if we really believe that, won't that eliminate regret? It, it doesn't matter what's in the past. God doesn't see it anymore. Why be plagued by it? Not only does God forget, but in Romans 8, 28, it reads, We know that God is always at work for the good of everyone who loves him. Do you love God? Do you love Jesus? It says, for he, when it comes to anyone who loves him, he is constantly at work for us. Molding, shaping, changing, guiding, pointing us in the direction of heaven. And in the eyes of our loving, merciful, forgiving, heavenly Father, our past is dead. And it's time to bury it once and for all. And remember that it was left when we entered those waters of baptism and came out new, resurrected to new life ourselves, those things were gone. And if Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and you've been baptized for forgiveness of your sin, then accept God's wonderful promise of forgiveness and let go of your past and live a resurrected life. Secondly, to move past regret, we must live in the present. Whoops. Uh, oh, it's still there. Okay. Live in the present. Psalm 51, verse 10. This is David taking charge of what he has power over right here. He says, create pure thoughts in me and make me faithful again. Don't chase me away from you or take your Holy Spirit away from me. Make me as happy as you did when you saved me. Make me want to obey. Do you remember what it was like when you came out of the waters of baptism? I would imagine there weren't too many of you that had a frown on your face, right? I, I remember all kinds of emotions, but there wasn't any anger in there. There wasn't anything negative in there. I'd have to say the predominant thing was just this incredible degree of joy knowing what had just taken place. You know, realizing that David couldn't undo anything when it came to his past, he focuses on what he could take charge of, which was the present. And that is to rebuild his relationship with God. 
This was his number one priority. In verse 10, what does he say? Create pure thoughts of me. He's basically, God, help me get spiritual again. Help change my thought process. And in verse 12, make me happy as you did when you saved me. Make me want to obey. You know, we don't see David saying here, Lord, I'm going to make this up to you by doing this, that, and the other. I'm going to make it up to you. No, what we see him saying instead is in verses 15 through 17. He says, help me to speak, and I will praise you, Lord. Offerings and sacrifices are not what you want. The way to please you is to feel sorrow deep in our hearts. This is the kind of sacrifice you won't refuse. You know, I think back to where I was before I became a Christian and then as a young Christian, when I sinned against my kids, I always felt that I had to make it up to them. As a non-Christian, it was really scary because uh, there wasn't any apologies, there wasn't any interaction. It was me figuring out by watching them watch TV what the, was the latest and greatest thing that they saw commercials for that they wanted, and then the next day rushing out and buying it for them and thinking that that was going to make up for the verbal abuse. That was going to make up for the anger outburst. And some of that even crossed over to my Christian life. But even more recently, when it comes to interaction that I have with Jacqueline, Anger. You know, rather than own it or change it, I get caught up from time to time trying to make up for whatever it was I did towards her with what, I, what comes out of my mouth that's sinful. And, you know, maybe knowing that, you know, there's certain things she wants done around the house a certain way and just really making the extra effort to nail it, to just do everything that I know is going to please her. You know, one of her, in the five love languages, one of her love languages is acts of service. But I'm finding out that that doesn't really get me to where I need to be. That, that wasn't supposed to be comedic. <laughs> I guess I'm a little slow sometimes. What can I say? But what I found out with this is as I'm doing these acts of service, thinking that that's going to be the cure, I start getting resentful. It's like, what the heck, man? I'm tired of going and getting her coffee at Starbucks every morning. I'm tired of double-checking the kitchen to make sure it meets her white glove test. I'm tired of it. I'm getting ticked. I'm thinking, why, 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 why am I going down this road? Because it really isn't accomplishing what I would hope to accomplish. I'm angry again. She's not happy. Why in heaven's name am I doing this? You okay there, Tish? <laughs> but, you know, and in really understanding that, that isn't the long-term fix. I can do things that I think will please her, and ultimately I'm finding out I get resentful of doing that, and I come full circle right back to being angry again. So I realized in this psalm, you know, better late than never, that David says in verse 15, help me speak, <laughs> and I will praise you, Lord. And thinking through... You know, the likes of a Colossians 3.12, clothe yourself in compassion, humility, kindness. Is that how I'm engaging my wife verbally? And it, David got this. I mean, it, it's right here in verse 15. Help me to speak. You know, ultimately why? Because it pleases God. And then this thing about feeling sorrow deep in our hearts David realized that he had to take care of first things first, which was that relationship with God and embracing godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow. 
And the way to do that was to get back to who God is. God, you're amazing. I'm sorry for forgetting that. I, 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 I realized that, you know, in the past, maybe the way I took care of things was doubling up on my offering or doing this out of the other, you know, bringing a bigger bowl or whatever. But I, I realized deep down that you could, you could care less about that. What you want is my heart. What you want is acknowledgement of what an amazing God you are. What you want is me to be sorrowful for the things that I do that are against you. And David, again, he realized before he could move past his regret and sin, he had to be reconciled to God first and foremost and focus on rebuilding that relationship. And, you know, here's the thing. This may have been written a little while back, but it's true for us today. If we want to let go of our regrets, move from regret to resurrection, we must tend to first things first, and that is to rebuild our relationship with God. Let go of the past and live in the present. And finally, if we're to be resurrected from regret, we must take hold of the future. You know, having begun his work of rebuilding his broken relationship with God, David now makes a commitment to future service to God. In verses 13 through 15, David says, I love this. So you think about it. When whatever station in life that you are, it doesn't matter gender, it doesn't matter life station, it doesn't matter any of those things. When you're not doing well spiritually, do you feel like you got anything to offer the lost? And ultimately, when you feel that way, what happens to your mouth? It doesn't open, right? Because you're kind of questioning your relationship with God. You're kind of questioning where you're at. You're kind of questioning whether or not you're going to get out of it and how in heaven's name you got anything to offer anybody. And that's Satan's lie. And I love this. When, when, when David embraces this repentant heart, he says, I will teach sinners your law. And they will return to you. Keep me from any deadly sin. Only you can save me. Then I will shout and sing about your power to save. Help me to speak. And I will praise you, Lord. You know, David just doesn't make a commitment not to repeat the sins of his past, but he makes a commitment to help others learn from his mistakes so they won't go down the same sinful path. Use your sin. Use your issues. Use the things that you've been able to overcome through Christ to help others. That's how you got here. I guarantee you, the people that reached out to you, that invited you to church, they, they were going through all kinds of stuff in their head about, oh my gosh, man, I know I need to share with this person, but I really don't want to share with this person. I got a big old fight with my wife today. My kids hate me. My boss hates me. Everybody hates me. Why would I open my mouth? But they did anyway, and guess what? You're here today. One of the best ways to rise about our regrets is to pass along the wisdom we've learned from our own mistakes to save others from the same misery and pain we experienced, especially those that are lost. Think about where you were before you came into the kingdom. Think about the things that were on that sin list. And praise God that you've been able to overcome. Satan will get in there and plague you with those things. He knows how to push the buttons. Just because it's our past doesn't mean it's going to go away, but that doesn't need to be our focus. We can't change the past, but we can change the future by steering others to the good news of Jesus Christ and helping them to avoid the same regretful mistakes we've made in the past. We need to ask ourselves, if we're baptized disciples of Jesus Christ, are you using the God story in your life to bring others to Christ? I mean, look at the opportunities we've got right now in our new worship centers. 
Are you using the God lesson in your life to teach, train, invest, mentor one another to maturity in Christ, as well as bringing others into your homes to hear how you, each and every one of you individually, have been written into God's story, and how you can help others be written into God's story as well going forward. You know, there's a quote from Gloria Baird. Many of you know it. Anybody want to venture it up? Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your suffering. It's a, it's a quotable quote. I'm going to throw that up on the screen here. <laughs> there we go. You know, thinking this through, there are times I've wasted the discipline of God the pain and suffering that comes from those mistakes. And ultimately, it's when I slip into the worldly sorrow, which we know does what? It, leave regret. it leaves us with regrets, right? Godly sorrow does what? Brings refreshment. We push those regrets right, right to the side with godly repentance, godly sorrow. And you know, if you don't learn from it, and if we're willing to, to embrace that worldly sorrow or that worldly sorrow and the suffering that goes along with it, then the bottom line is we do get a do-over. If you stay there with that worldly sorrow, you'll do over and over and over and over again the same things that you regret because you haven't gone after that relationship with God first and foremost. I want to close this out with a short story about regret. So says, I had not planned on taking a trip this time of year, yet I found myself packing hurriedly. This trip was going to be unpleasant, and I knew in advance that no good would come of it. I'm talking about my annual guilt trip. Sometimes I think for me it's more than annual, but anyway. So as I got tickets to fly there on Wish I Had Airlines, it was an extremely short flight. I got my baggage, which I couldn't check. I chose to carry it myself all the way there. It was weighted with a thousand memories of what might have been. No one greeted me as I entered the terminal to the Regret City International Airport. As I checked into the last resort hotel, I noticed they were hosting this year's annual pity party. Well, I wasn't going to miss that great social occasion because most citizens would be there. First attending would be the Dunn family, you know, should have done, would have done, could have done. Then came the I had family. You know, oh, I wish I had, and his clan. And then, of course, the opportunities would be there. Missed opportunities, lost opportunities. But the biggest family of all was the yesterdays. There are far too many of them to even count, but each one had a sad story to tell. Then shattered dreams would surely make an appearance, and it's their fault. Shattered dreams would tell us stories about excuses about how things failed in their lives, saying they shouldn't be blamed, and they couldn't help it. To make a long story short, I went to this party knowing there was going to be no benefit in doing so. If you're planning a trip to the city of regret, cancel your reservations. Instead, take a trip to a new place, starting again. My neighbors there have been very helpful to me. You don't have to carry baggage there, and if you make it there someday, then look me up. I live on I Can Do It Street. All I had to do 
to get out of Regret City and start living the abundant life Christ desires me to live today. Let go of your past, live in the present, and lay hold of the future, and that's how to live a life above regret. God bless. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us. 